You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields as his disciples walked along and began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I was surprised recently to see how many popular books have the word reset in its title. Uh, and typically, you could probably guess the books generally deal with how to get your life back into sync physically, emotionally, and mentally. In other words, how, how to reset. Now, the word simply means, if you look it up, to reset means to set again, or often to return to its original settings. And I thought, what an interesting subject to think about when we're on the Sunday between Thanksgiving and the start of Advent, a time of year that typically starts to fill up our calendars, people start to get stressed out, and consumed with a bunch of other things, how, how we need to see the Lord's Day or the Sabbath as a time to reset. Uh, so we're going to look at this passage, and you'll notice I'm going to use the terms Sabbath and Lord's Day interchangeably just to illustrate there's both continuity between them and discontinuity. There, there definitely is a difference, as we'll see. But, but each focus on resetting coming back to what is most important. So as you listen to the scene from Mark's gospel, uh, keep in mind Mark's gospel is a fast-paced gospel. Typically it focuses more on the actions of Jesus, uh, not so much his teachings, but his actions. What does he do? So it should be of note to us that in this passage you have not just a mention of what Jesus does, but in particular his, his teaching about the Sabbath. And so we're going to look at this and, and, and say that in order to see the Lord's Day as a time to reset, we want to keep three elements in mind. First, just simply understanding what the Lord's Day is, 
So that's where we'll start, understanding what the Lord's Day is. Then we'll move to what does it look like to practice the Lord's Day? So we're not in the first century. We're in the 21st century. What does that look like to practice the Lord's Day? And then we'll end by concluding with what does it mean to say we should be enjoying the Lord's Day? Enjoying the Lord's Day. So look with me at Mark chapter 2. And let's start with simply understanding the Lord's Day, or in this case, the Sabbath. And so you see right away there's a criticism that the Pharisees have. And this will only escalate. Mark's gospel will include about five different Sabbath controversies where Jesus will do something and it's on the Sabbath and it, it just triggers the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So you notice in verse 23, it says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields as his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so clearly there's a difference of view here. The Pharisees are looking at this, and what they're looking is for fault. And whether or not Jesus was also doing this with the grain, uh, but clearly they zero in on the disciples. And so you have two possibilities. What was it the Pharisees here are claiming that the disciples are doing? Well, it is possible they may have been upset the disciples are, are walking. Now, to give you an idea of that, the Pharisees had given a ruling that you could not take consecutively more than 1,999 steps. If you did more than that consecutively, that turned a walk into a journey. And a journey was forbidden on the Sabbath. That, that's possible, but, but it seems more that the intent here is they're upset because they're saying the disciples are harvesting here. They're, they're threshing grain. That even this little bit where they, the law did permit you to, to get some grain, but, but they're going to claim that they're actually harvesting it by rubbing it between their fingers, by separating the wheat from the chaff, that they're guilty of threshing or harvesting. And so you notice Jesus's response beginning at verse 20, 25, where he answers them, and what does Jesus do? He responds by going back to the word of God. Now, there's some irony in this because this is exactly what the religious leaders did do. They often like to answer a question by going back to the law, by going back to the Old Testament. So Jesus follows that pattern. He says, all right, so you're, you're criticizing me. You're looking for a way. This isn't where they're just curious and they'd like an answer. They're looking for faults. They're looking for evidence that Christ is breaking the law. And so you notice Jesus takes them back in verse 25 through 28 to the origin and obligation of the Lord's Day or the Sabbath. Now we know that because we just read Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. There you have the commandment about the Sabbath is the fourth word from God. And you notice as we listen to that being read, it's said in there that the Lord has made the Sabbath 
holy and has blessed it. So there's something clearly distinct here about this one day in seven. And the Sabbath being, at least from an Old Testament perspective, is the seventh day of the week. It is Saturday. So Jesus is going back to what was the origin and what is the obligation of the Sabbath? Now, we do know there are other laws and teachings in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled that we no longer adhere to or follow. Sacrificial laws, things like that. So how do we know the Sabbath isn't one of those? Well, look at me in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, going all the way back to the beginning of everything. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. Because as we consider this day that God says he has blessed and declared to be holy, it's tied all the way back to creation. And so in chapter 2, it reads, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So when we look of creation, we're talking about a, a, something embedded within the very creation. This principle of six days of, of various activity, but the seventh day is set apart from the previous six. And so there's something about that that is rooted not just in the doctrine of creation, but we could say even of human nature. Uh, during a time of the French Revolution, the French were so set against, kind of rebelling against everything related to religion, that for a short time they removed Sunday from the calendar. And it actually had physical, emotional, and repercussions on the French people. Like that they had to go back and put that day back in. In other words, indicating to us there's something about how God created and wired us that we do see the importance of a day that is different from, from all the previous days in our life. And studies have shown that's important physically, it's important emotionally, but, but we're kind of looking and saying, yeah, but it's vital spiritually. This is a day God has set apart. And as you probably know, in Judaism today, they don't refer to the Sabbath as Sunday, but it's Saturday, and they refer to it as Shabbat. And Shabbat is the Hebrew word that simply means to cease or to rest. So that's the origin and the obligation of the Sabbath. That Jesus says, well, you know, you, I'm sure, know this. So the Sabbath or Lord's Day has a definite purpose. Go back to Mark chapter 2 and look carefully at verse 27 and 28. As Jesus responds, as we'll get to first, an example from the Old Testament involving David. But notice what he says in verse 27. He said, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
So verse 28 emphasizes the authority of Jesus. Who would better know the, the purpose and obligation of the Sabbath than the one who created it, than the one who established it? But notice in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. It was created and designed for our benefit. And yet we're going to see that benefit comes when we redirect and reset our attention on the glory and worship of God. But it was made for us, for, for our benefit, for our good, and according to the purpose God designed us to. So by kind of refreshing our understanding of the Sabbath, we can start to think of the Lord's Day as a reset button that should bring us back to our created purpose. And that was to glorify God and enjoy his presence forever. Very different from probably what most people think of church and even sometimes what most Christians think about the Lord's Day, about gathering together in worship. So Jesus responds first by giving a renewed understanding of the Sabbath or the Lord's Day. It doesn't change anything, but he speaks of its original purpose and design. But now we're going to look at practicing the Lord's Day. What does it look like to practice the Lord's Day? Certainly the Pharisees and religious leaders in Jesus' day had their own definition of what that should look like. But the problem we know is their definition was their definition. It, it was their rules, their guidelines, not God's rules or God's guidelines. And so now I want to add to this practicing the Lord's Day, uh, something that is not in this immediate text, but is in other places in the New Testament. And that is with Christ's resurrection and ascension, we have a transition now. We, we move from the Sabbath to the Lord's Day. We move from worshiping on the seventh day, the last day of the week, to now worshiping on the first day of the week. And so if you think about this, this would make sense when you think of the world's three largest religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Judaism worships on the Saturday, literally the Sabbath. Islam worships on a Friday in commemoration of Muhammad and his first sermon. Christianity worships on the first day of the week, Sunday, in honor of Christ's resurrection. And so you see now as the early church is moving out, this clear separation from Judaism but not separation from the Old Testament, but separation from Judaism to see the Old Testament as being completed and pointing to Jesus Christ. And so now we look at, well, what does that then look like? Well, the Lord's Day, if you think about it, points to the two greatest acts in redemptive history, creation and redemption. And we should think about that when we gather together to worship. We're, we're going back to creation. One day that's distinct. It's been blessed and declared holy. And we're also thinking of the work of redemption 
as to why we meet on Sunday. That's not coincidental. It's not just we wanted to pick a day that's different from other others. It's because of Jesus Christ's resurrection. So what should the Lord's Day then look like for you and me? Well, if you look again at Mark chapter 2, we're reminded that there are two extremes that we have to avoid. One of these extremes is exactly what the Pharisees fell into, and that is legalism. In other words, again, remember what they said, the Pharisees in verse 24, they, they said to Jesus, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? In other words, they had their rules, and the rules were these man-made stipulations. And so we can probably think back to a time earlier in history uh, where, you know, Christians were convinced you should never play cards on the Lord's Day. You know, you should never do this. You should never do that. Uh, now, is it important to have it distinct from the other days? Absolutely. But is it those things that make it worshipful? And so legalism is where you front load and overemphasize external regulations and rules. And we know that one of the indictments against the Pharisees was they've turned the Lord's Day or the Sabbath at their time into a burden. There were so many rules that, that it robbed it of its purpose. It became just something where you're focused on what can't you do? What must you not do? And that's exactly what the Pharisees here are saying. So that's one extreme. The other extreme would be something we could call antinomianism, where, where there's no difference. You know, where we kind of say, well, you know what, we can worship God every day. So really, I don't need to go to church. I don't need, there's nothing distinct about Sunday and worshiping with other Christians. I, I can just do it all on my own. It's, it's just not even, it's just another day. And certainly we see that view evident in most of our neighbors, right? Sunday is just another day to catch up on what you couldn't get done Saturday. Or another day for you to get to do whatever you want to do. There's no sense of it being set apart or sacred. So how does Jesus navigate through these two extremes? Where he's got the Pharisees just looking, nitpicking for anything he can say or do that they can say, that's not on our list. Well, look closely at verse 25 and 26 again and Jesus' response. Notice in verse 25, he presents a situation involving David. Uh, and this comes out of the Old Testament. And this is during a time in David's life when he and his men are outlaws. They're, they're running from Saul. Uh, and so there's a situation where they're, they're desperate for food. Uh, they not only eat the showbread, but, but there's no condemnation of that. So why does Jesus bring that up? Well, what he's bringing up here is a precedent. He's saying, look at what happened in the Old Testament. Doesn't negate that the showbread was holy, that it was to be prepared and left and changed every Sabbath. Uh, but there was a precedent where this was not binding. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is there is such a thing as works of necessity that need to be done on the Lord's Day. 
And so therefore, works of necessity would be honorable to God, even if done on the Lord's day. Now, we have to be careful here that we don't turn everything into work of necessity, but this is saying, let's contemporize it. If you suddenly realize you're out of milk, you can go to the store and buy milk. You know, if, you, if you, something is needed, well, of course, you can do that in a way that honors God and still have that day set apart to, as we'll see, to the worship and service of God. So Jesus brings that up as a precedent. Much like today, we, we would understand facing legal matters, you often have different people bring up precedents. You know, well, this was ruled this way back here. So that impacts now your final decision. Notice even in this comment when Jesus says in verse 25, have you never read what David did? You want to think of the irony of this. Jesus is saying this to, to individuals, Pharisees and assuming maybe other religious leaders who know the Old Testament. They, they've memorized most of the Old Testament. It'd be as if I said to you, don't you know what John 3.16 says? I mean, you'd be like, duh, of course. They, they fully know the details of David's life and the significance David has in the Old Testament. So notice the Lord's Day is not a day of no activities. But in this case, it is to be a day devoted to the worship and work of serving the Lord. And that allows for works of necessity. So, for example, there, there are Christians, and, and we know from the past, Karen knows as a nurse, uh, certain professions, they'll have to work on Sunday. And as a Christian, you, you have to work. Hopefully you don't work every Sunday, but I mean, the reality is that's a work of necessity. Your, your occupation, your vocation requires that. And that's true for Tim, it's for other people, that can happen. The Pharisees would be furious with that. They, they would define it in a way that is not defined and according to what God has instituted. But then notice the next scene in chapter 3. We don't know how much after this happened. It simply says, another time. Uh, and Mark is pretty famous for sort of sandwiching events together. We'll start one, then kind of throws in another event. Um, so this could have been separated by a short period of time. It could have almost happened within hours of one. Um, but notice what happens in this next scene. Now we're in the synagogue. And so if we look at verses 3 and 4, it says, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now be, now, be thinking here, what, what is the purpose of this? Jesus has already had this, not the first, but at least the fourth Sabbath controversy, the one that we just looked at. Now you come to another one. He already knows they're watching him. Now, this would be the equivalent of, you know, he, he goes into the synagogue and it says, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse him. I kind of think, you're all looking at me, but think of the difference if I just did this to you. Like, I'm, I'm watching you. I've, I've got my eyes on you. 
So Jesus sees this man with a withered hand. The, the point of this isn't, well, what, what happened to his hand? You know, that, that's immaterial. He has a hand that doesn't work. And this would be not because of just like an injury that has to heal, but a, but a permanent kind of state. So imagine Jesus then says to this guy, stand up. Now, now many of us, even in a small room like this, if I said to you, I'd like you to stand up, we'd feel pretty self-conscious. So imagine he's got some kind of infirmity, not something you want to flag around and show people, especially given the presupposition many Jews had that if you had some kind of infirmity, it was because of God's judgment on you, something sinful about your past or your parents' past. But Jesus asked this guy to stand up. What, what is Jesus doing here? Well, he already knows the Pharisees are going to say, you can't do works on the Sabbath. In other words, it's against God's law to heal someone on the Sabbath. Now, there was one exception. If it was a matter of life and death, they did allow that. But clearly, this, this man has a disabled hand, but he's not dying. It's not a matter of life or death. But notice what, what happens in verse 4. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remain silent. Jesus is now saying, according to God's design, the Sabbath, or the Lord's Day here in particular, not only allows for works of necessity, but allows for works of mercy. This is an act of mercy. He, he's healing this individual, and it's displaying God's mercy and grace. That clearly is not forbidden prohibited on the Sabbath. It should be evident every day, but especially if you think when we gather in God's presence, shouldn't we want to see the grace and glory of God displayed? So we've got another clarification here. What, what is permittable on the Lord's Day? And notice these first two statements about what works are pleasing to God are very broad where often we want to kind of nitpick, like the Pharisees. We, we want a specific list. What, what can I do? What can I do? This is setting broader parameters so that we would truly honor the Lord's Day for what it is to be, a day devoted to the, the public and private worship of God and study of God. It's not surprising that at the end of verse 4, it says they remained silent. What are they going to say? If, if they answer this, well, it's wrong to do any kind of good, they're going to infuriate the people around them. And clearly the Old Testament talks about the importance of showing mercy and grace in the midst of injustices in our world. But then notice what happens in verses 5 and 6. This is referring to Jesus. He looked around at them in anger. Now, he uses a different word here. It mentioned earlier the Pharisees looked for ways to, to trap Christ. But that's not the same word that's used here of Jesus when it says he looked around. This word emphasizes a, a very thoughtful sort of survey of, of each 
face. So not, not like a rush kind of glance, but, but he looked. He, he made eye, cont eye contact. He, he knew what they were after. He knew what their purpose was. Even though they remained silent, Jesus could hear and know their thoughts and what was in their heart. But then notice the reaction. Not only does Jesus look around, but then Mark adds this. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Now think of this. The Pharisees' religious leaders want to, quote-unquote, protect the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. But yet look how sinful they are. They're upset that Jesus is doing good. But they don't see that they're saying and willing to do evil on the Sabbath. And again, Mark's very careful here. The word anger means wrath. This is a very strong word. Jesus is angry as he looks at this. What have they done to, to this day that I have established this to be holy and blessed? They've turned it into rules. But then notice, oddly enough, at the same time it says, and he was deeply distressed. You could put in there, he was filled with grief. Why? Because his house is to be a house of prayer. It's to be a house of worship. Not, not division. Not disunity about why we're gathering together. And so he is both angry and deeply distressed. But then notice you go one step further. Because we're at their stubborn hearts. Their hearts are hardened here. In other words, this is what's preventing them from worshiping on the Sabbath. This is what's preventing them. Not that the day is wrong, not anything like that, but it's their hearts. And this certainly is an indictment against the religious leaders, against the Pharisees. Uh, but we don't want to miss that there are occasions where Jesus will say to his own disciples, your hearts are stubborn. Your hearts are hardened. And how many of us have ever sat, I'm sure, in a worship service and left really no different than when we entered? And yet we're coming into God's presence, the same God, the same word of God that we see here. And so we talked about the Lord's Day being a day for works of necessity. We mentioned how it also is to allow for works of mercy that, that are honorable to God. But clearly in this scene here, we're reminded that it also allows for works of praise, worship, and the study of God. And so you may have caught the psalm we began our service with. Psalm 92 is a song of praise for the Sabbath. And if you, we read the whole psalm, you'd see it mentions singing, Worshiping, uh, listening to God's word. In, in other words, the Lord's Day is not a day of no activities. It's a day where our activities are centered around 
the public and private worship and study of God. Now, in one sense, yes, that should characterize our life throughout the week. But there is something tied to creation and the nature of humanity that we need one day separate from the others to center ourselves once again on who God is and who we are in light of him. Uh, the Westminster Confession, which I've referred to different times, has a, has a very short teaching statement that says, related to the Lord's Day, the purpose is spending the whole time in public and private exercises of God's worship. And that should change the tone of how we live Monday through Saturday. So we have one final element to get to here, and that is simply enjoying the Lord's Day. Now remember, the Pharisees robbed it wrongfully of its joy. And if this was God's design, as Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, then it should be a day that we enjoy. Now, the parallel accounts of what Mark talks about with the healing of this man with the withered hand all kind of end the same way. We know nothing about what happens to this man. He's healed. So notice Mark says that Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. I'll take some liberty here with the text. I'm assuming this guy went away changed, not just physically, but spiritually. That he didn't see that day as just any other day was radically transformed. His life, I'm guessing, was transformed. And isn't that what the Lord's Day should do in the life of every believer? It's a reset. We come together, and what do we do? We, we fellowship. We, we worship. Uh, we express our concern and mutual love for one another. We look for ways to extend hospitality to each other all out of our worship and recognition to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And yet, that kind of worship that should mark the Lord's Day for all of us also has an opposite effect. Because notice how Mark ends this account in verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians <laughs> how they might kill Jesus. What, what, what happened? How, how did we go from this being a day of enjoyment for those who are right with God to now those who come into God's presence who have hardened hearts will leave with even harder hearts, with even greater condemnation upon themselves. And so here the result for the Pharisees and religious leaders is they're going to team up with, with another group, the Herodians, this is basically people who uh, want to keep Herod in power. They, they have no ideology they share together. But we'll see this strange joining together because they have one hatred, and that is Jesus Christ. And what a twist to put on this scene of, of how the Lord's Day, how it was designed and created, to how it should be received by those who know Christ, and then also responded to by those who don't. 
So I think reset is a good word. It says, well, this is what the Lord's Day is, an opportunity for us to reset. In other words, to, to better align our goals, our priorities, our attitudes with what is God's character and who God is and who we are in Jesus Christ. As one Puritan put it, the Lord's Day should be the best day of the week. And now we know why that's true. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may this give us a richer and deeper understanding, not only why we gather together, uh, but what we are missing when we fail to do that. Uh, Lord, may the Lord's Day always be the best day in our week. In Jesus' name, amen.